I was described as tall, dark, and handsome recently, and it made my day. Well, I would that would make my day too if I looked like you. Oh, oh, anyhow. Oh boy, it's the Doob to Fail podcast. I am Tim Dobbs, and I'm happy to see you. And with me, as ever, through the wonderful communications wonderland that is the internet, it's the lady with the long, long tentacles, Catherine Coger. It's good to be here, Tim. It's, that's you underwater, huh? <laughs> blub, blub, blub. All right. And. In addition to Catherine and I, what you just heard was Blamos, which is our new theme. We have a theme song, Catherine. A real theme song? Like a real boy. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's very exciting. uh, I I saw these guys, Blamos. They're a San Francisco-based band, um, and they are awesome. And they were super nice to us and let us use their song, uh, How Do You Know by Blamos. And, um, they are gosh, it's just great. And just all around good guys. Very lovely. And, and, and women. There's, there's, yeah. Oh, and women. I'm sorry. Well, I meant, I meant their, their lead singer is just a good guy. Yes. Cause that's a guy. Arthur's a to. great guy. <laughs> Thank you, Arthur. Thanks, Arthur. But big ups to all of Blamos because, uh, your music's great. And we hope that all of our listeners will go check it out at www.blamos.com. That's B L A M M O S.com. And, uh, check out the music. Buy some of their tracks. You can also find that website on our website from now until eternity. Forever. Forever. <laughs> we, we've we created a blood bond with Blamos. <laughs> I don't think they know about that part, though. <laughs> mm, well, at any rate, today we'll be continuing our much-loved format of talking about a different topic every week and cycling through the series about uh, once every month or so. And today we'll be covering what is... One of our favorite topics, because, gosh, they're just all our favorites. Toy inventors. Each seven in a kind of zen. Poor. I don't have a dollar, but a cent, sure. I'm saving up for the fun that's in store. It's all thanks to toy inventors. That's right. And this week we are talking about... Catherine, why don't you uh, go for this name, huh? Um... It's something like Echernur Rubik, and um, if you couldn't guess, he invented the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's a Hungarian, uh, born in 1944 in Budapest. His father was a flight engineer, and his mother was a poet. So his father actually created more than 26 types of gliders. I just, I really love that detail. Twenty Inventor of 26 types of gliders. That's a lot, though. I wouldn't have been able to tell you there was more than one glider. Well, that's true. I mean, maybe, like, they just sort of have slight tweaks to it, so 26 isn't actually that impressive of a number. Oh, like, uh, this one is green, and that's a whole new kind of glider. Exactly. Exactly. So what I like about uh, Rubik is that it's kind of easy to trace his, his sort of life pattern through just this duality of his mother and father. Mm-hmm. Um, so he got interested in art because his mother was a poet. And interested in beauty, and uh, he spent his secondary education pursuing sculpture. But 
he felt the technical pull of those 26 gliders and his father's flight engineering and um, decided that he couldn't fit in as a bohemian, is, is actually a quote from him. I could not be as bohemian as my classmates were. I have actually had that same problem. Have you? <laughs> I have. You're a chemical engineer. What do you mean? Are they, <laughs> are they real uh, bohemian up there at UW? They're all just like smoking cigarettes and wearing black turtlenecks? And... No, it's more that I have all these super cool friends who smoke cigarettes and wear black turtlenecks, and I'm busy being an engineer, and so I don't have time uh, to be as bohemian as them. I, I was. That's a shame. I was really hoping that you had like friends who would uh, you know, sit in coffee shops and say, like, uh, I have a sense of ennui from this heat exchanger. <laughs> Catherine, uh, if you were uh, an artistically inclined person who felt the need to sort of stretch their technical legs as well, what discipline would you get into? Well, probably something that sort of mixed in this technical aspect into what I already loved, which was art. And that probably pulls me into design a little bit. Wouldn't you agree, Mm -hmm. Tim? I would say so, yeah. Maybe even, maybe a little bit even more into architecture maybe a little bit Ooh, that's exactly what erno rubik did what i know you didn't see that coming erno rubik graduated in 1967 so um you know summer love ish not quite but (laughs) in uh, budapest (laughs) i could not tell you what was going on in budapest in 1967 except that erno rubik was graduating from the technical university in budapest with a degree in architecture and then during the 70s, uh, he worked as a professor in the Hungarian Academy of Applied Arts and Crafts, which... Um, There's so many great comments about that. <laughs> I, I looked that one up because I was like, really? Applied Arts and Crafts? <laughs> it's where you learn about popsicle sticks. Uh, it turns out that that's, you know, there are a number of translations of, of really what it is. Uh, and it's not even called that anymore. Well, yeah, if it translates into arts and crafts, you're going to want to rename your school. Just saying. <laughs> hey, 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 you're the school who had Erno Rubik teaching, the inventor of the Rubik's Cube, the best-selling toy ever. You're going to hang on to that. You don't need to impress anybody. Anyway. So he's teaching in the 1970s at this uh, Academy of Arts and Crafts. Uh, and in addition to his popsicle sticks and googly eye uh, classes, he also, it, I mean, really, he's teaching all these sort of very abstract approaches to thinking about architecture and design. He was actually teaching a class called Forms, just about forms, uh, when he came up with the idea for the Rubik's Cube. So this was 1974 when he came up with the idea and then built a prototype. And... The common version is that he was trying to solve a problem of how interlocking parts could move independently without falling apart, which we see in the Rubik's Cube, right? Mm-hmm. But I actually found a direct quote from Erno Rubik uh, that sort of implied that really the reason he got involved in the independently moving part problem at all was just he was thinking about cubes very hard. He was just spending a lot of his time thinking about cubes and what cubes mean. I love that. Which, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just great. This is, I mean, this is the kind of guy he is, right? He, he likes thinking about the most abstract, most basic ideas about what he's working on. Yeah. Uh, which is why he became a professor. I mean, we have Lonnie Johnson and we have Richard James, and they're both tinkerers just by trade. They're both engineering-y tinkers, hardcore. And then we have this guy who's just the most artsiest, fartsiest toy inventor. <laughs> He's a tinkerer of the mind. He doesn't put anything into practice. He just thinks about it and tinkers with it in his head. Similarly to how Chris Angel freaks your mind, he tinkers your brain. 
<laughs> okay. Um, so, the first thing, of course, Rubik has to do is figure out how this whole thing works, right? So he puts it together, he has his prototype, and then he mixes it up a few times, and he's like, wow, this is actually really, this cube is really mixed up. I'm wondering if I can put it back into place. And so he starts to turn it around, and uh, more and more, he keeps turning it around, and he turns it around more, then he's just turning and turning turning. Spends a day on it. And then a week. And a month. And uh, after about a month, he's able to solve it. And <laughs> it occurs to him that, like, that was actually pretty fun for him as an abstract academic, figuring out how, do, how does he solve this crazy, complicated toy that's ingenious and in how simple it actually is. Um, we, we, maybe we should take a quick second to talk about how it actually works. Sure. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't totally understand it, but basically as I, as I get it, it's sort of... Um, so you have this sort of three-dimensional cross, and so... Uh, it's, it's sort of a cross, but then there's one more thing sticking out of the Z-axis. And at each end of the cross, there is one little square, a colored square. And so the center piece of each face of the Rubik's Cube is actually all connected to this sort of interior mechanism. They're all pulled towards each other fairly rigidly. And then every other cube, um, or as they call them, cubies, really? has a little... Yeah, right? That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So all, all the rest of the little cubies, they have um, these plastic extensions. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't plastic in the original, but they have these little extensions that sort of grip them to each other. So basically, as you spin, well, it, it stayed locked with uh, the one face that you're spinning, and then if you spin another one, it will stay locked with that one, but be able to slide freely along the other side. So the only thing that really ever stays constant is everything in that three-dimensional plus sign. But everything else is, is allowed to just sort of slide along, but be pulled in by the friction of whichever face you're moving. There you go. Huh. World's best puzzle, right? Three-dimensional plus sign. It totally is. <laughs> we'll be right back on the Doom to Fail podcast. And we're back. Talking about Erno Rubik. So he gets this idea from having a lot of fun with that. And he decides, well, let's sell it as a toy. And he goes to market with it in Hungary in 1977. Sold as the Magic Cube. <laughs> and uh, then, because there already was a Magic Cube in the U.S., it ended up going as Rubik's Cube in 1980 when he finally started selling in the U.S. But, I mean, it is crazy successful. I mean, that goes from... Selling it at some market in 1977 in just one country, one small Eastern European company that was recently introduced to capitalism, to a national, no, no, international... This is the amazing thing, is that it was still a socialist country at the time. Oh, was it really? Yeah, yeah. So this is 1977, and uh, uh, oof, late 80s, I think 89, was uh, when Hungary went capital. No kidding. Okay, that's very interesting. Okay. Um but, I mean, this is so one socialist country took a complete international sensation in three years. That's really ridiculous. 
Um, mm-hmm. And he's the first self-made millionaire in the Eastern Bloc. Which uh, I guess I don't understand sort of the intricacies of Hungarian communism or socialism or you know whatever their government uh, identified themselves as at that point. But somehow he made millions of dollars. Yeah, how does entrepreneurship work in an environment like that? Apparently it does. <laughs> there was a fellow called Tibor Lassi, uh, who is Austrian, who uh, actually helped him, you know, from sort of a more capitalist, coming from a more capitalist place, he was uh, able to sort of launch it international, and that's where it went big. Interesting. So I think he, uh, yeah, I think he just wasn't even thinking about it, you know, because <laughs> of because of his sort of communist uh, culture that he grew up in. Right, right. I mean, I wonder if maybe... And the Austrian businessmen found him or they met up and then it was technically an Austrian company that sold products in Hungary. It was, it was, I, I will let you know. <laughs> it was a Hungarian uh, company that sold it in Hungary. Oh, okay. And then this Austrian businessman was the guy who launched it internationally. Interesting. Yeah. But Tibor Lassi, who we mentioned earlier, has this great quote, quote about Rubik and the t- type of guy he is. So he says, when Rubik first walked into the room, I felt like giving him some money. He looked like a beggar, he was terribly dressed, and he had a cheap Hungarian cigarette hanging out of his mouth. But I knew I had a genius on my hands. And after the Cube's success, the only thing he did differently was start smoking better cigarettes. (laughs) Which I really like. That's great. It really speaks to... um, The fact that Rubik does come from this sort of communist culture, and also that... I mean, he's a real academic. He's not out there to be like, I'm going to make a ton of money. Um, <laughs> he's all up there in his head thinking about cubes. <laughs> or cubies, and, uh, as the case may be. Yeah, <laughs> cubies. Um, and so, yeah, the only thing he does is like, well, I'd like better cigarettes, I guess. But other than that, I mean, he just doesn't quite fit in. And if anything, he becomes almost suspicious um, of because he just doesn't know how to handle this money. And so, like, there, there was this play in Hungary put on about the Rubik's Cube, which is a great fact in and of itself. Um, and Rubik tried to convince them... Oh, they, had, they had the real names of all the characters involved, uh, Tibor Lassi, the Austrian businessman. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rubik was trying to convince them to use a pseudonym for his character, and his suggestion was they just call him Bubik. Why don't you just call him Bubik? No one will know, right? That's a silly-sounding name. <laughs> It's ridiculous. <laughs> that's what I would have said if I was the producer. Well, that's that. That's uh. Eventually, they ended up convincing him to do Rubik, but good. Yeah, I wouldn't t- be able to take that play seriously. <laughs> Bubik. <laughs> anyway, but so he's just not comfortable with the whole thing, and I, I like this. Uh, the, one more quote for you here. Um. This is from Tibor Lassi, the Austrian businessman who was just constantly perplexed by uh, why Rubik was being so difficult. But he says, uh, this is at like press conferences. He would try to explain why the cube appealed to an innate human fascination with order and chaos. And all the reporter wanted to know is how long it took him to solve it. Or they would ask, what does it feel like to be famous? And Rubik would want to answer, what does it feel like not to be famous? What an academic! <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that because it's both, it, like, it shows this whole, like, well, this dude doesn't want to be famous. And also, like, the fact that he's like, ooh, let's, let's, let's make this ab- abstract thought as possible. <laughs> what is it to not be? Hmm. And I mean, it's, it's that sort of behavior that makes him just insanely quotable because he like he, these reporters are asking him stupid questions like so how long did it first take you to solve the cube and he comes back with these really gorgeous quotes do you want to read a few of these Tim 
I, I do. I want to so badly. <laughs> Here's just just a few of them, but there's like a million of them out there that are all like super good, which is odd for this sort of curmudgeon who doesn't like talking to people. But I think I think you get him started on really abstract conceptual things and he'll, he'll just roll. And so um, one of them is uh, here. <clears throat> Quote voice. The cube can seem alive as it heats up in your hand. The fact that each face of the cube is made of three layers of three blocks has an important meaning. The number three seems to have a particular significance, relevant in some strange ways to the relation between man and nature. Mother, child, father, heaven, earth, hell, creation, preservation, destruction, birth, life, death. I love that quote. <laughs> it's a really good quote, first of all. I love it so much. <laughs> Reading it now for like the third or fourth time, I realized that that's what a crazy person would sound like if they'd spent too much time with the cube. Yeah. <laughs> good point, yeah. That's like, yeah, schizophrenia or something. That is troubling. Take the cube away from Rubik. <laughs> He's wearing a tinfoil hat. <laughs> Uh, okay, another one for you. The cube is an imitation of life itself, or even an improvement on life. Oh, jeez. The problems of puzzles are very near the problems of life. Our whole life is solving puzzles. If you're hungry, you have to go find something to eat, but everyday problems are very mixed. They're not clear. The cube's problem depends just on you. You can solve it independently. But to find happiness in life, you're not independent. That's the only big difference. Oh, man, you can put that on his epitaph. <laughs> Do like... you think Erno now would be happy if the cube just somehow disappeared from public consciousness? That's that's an interesting question. He has done a lot of interviews, even though Supposedly he hates interviews? doesn't seem to enjoy doing them. <laughs> yeah, like in all the interviews, he seems very like, uh, why are we talking? But then he does a lot of, uh, who knows? I don't know. So it's a tricky question. You know, this. I mean, this is like Lonnie Johnson, too, right? Like, this is not what this guy does. I mean, it kind of is what Rubik does because he just invents puzzles and thinks about shapes and space. But the marketing and the being a toy inventor is not what he does. Exactly. I think on the one hand, both Rubik and Lonnie Johnson probably are like, you know, it comes back to the party with uh, Jaleel White and Katy Perry (laughs) and uh, Lonnie Johnson. There's a callback to our last Toy Inventors episode. But it's like... Well, I'm tired of being, you know, singled out as this guy. Like, if I'm at a party and someone hears that, that's all they want to talk about. And that's exhausting. But on the other hand, well, I did the thing I do, which is tinker or think about shapes or whatever. And that expression of myself turned into something that was important and famous and made me a ton of money, which then let me go do the thing I do more. Because, you know, Lonnie Johnson does all his engineering, he has all that special stuff. And Rubik, actually right now, he runs a foundation to help promising inventors in Hungary. And he also runs the Rubik Studio, which employs a dozen people to design furniture and toys. He gets to sit around all day and think about shapes and space mm-hmm. and forms. That's really cool. He's got a made. <laughs> but, I mean, I w- just thinking about that quote, the way he says... Um... He's comparing, like, the problem of the cube to the problem of everyday life, and he seems frustrated with the problems of everyday life, and the cube seems like a refuge for him. Yeah, like, that's really... I I love this. Cube is an imitation of life itself, or even an improvement on life. It's possible the guy's got Asperger's. I'm just saying. (laughs) I I mean, this this sort of order and all that is is just really important to him. I, I think he likes that it's a simple problem that he can sit and work out and figure out. You know, exactly. He can tinker in his mind and not in the real world. But he doesn't want to decide where to eat every day. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, we will be right back. And uh, to let you out on the last little bit of uh, Rubik, we're going to give you one more quote because I cannot resist his quotes. Talking about the cube here, he says, In its arranged state, it suggests calm, peace, a sense of order, security. In sharp contrast to all the working object means once it is brought to life, to motion. There is something terrifying in its calm state, like a wild beast at rest, a tiger in repose, its power lurking. It's the Doom to Fail podcast. We'll be right back. Oh boy, Doom to Fail podcast, Tim Dobbs, Catherine Kogert, hey. back for that special part of the podcast where we talk about the teensy, tiny, terrible things, also starts with a T, technically, technically things, tiny talk. I think that that sentence made syntactic sense. Well, it was kind of a run-on. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe in run-ons. You can put as many commas as you like in a sentence and it's grammatically correct. So we're going to talk about a little, the little moments, the moments that make life living. I don't life. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Catherine, what's up? What's up with you? I had a, I had a funny story that happened to me today. So um, I went to a lecture uh, from the guy who runs the board of engineers or the state board of engineers in Washington State. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was really excited about it because I'm really interested in becoming a professional engineer, maybe, and I'm thinking about it. I don't know. We'll see. So the guy, he talked really, really slowly. He's one of those guys. He, he just sort of rambled, danced around the point for a really, really long time, and I had to come. I really like you doing the jitterbug while you explain that to me. <laughs> Listeners at home, I'm doing the jitterbug to explain how he dances around the point. And so he was finally starting to get into the meat of things, um, but it had been about an hour, and it was supposed to be an about an hour thing. So uh, my buddy, who is the president of our, like, student organization for my department, I guess you'd call it. We call it A-I-C-H-E. Oh, sure. I mean, that's the American Institute of Chemical Engineers. I mean, yeah, yeah. You're part of the UW chapter. Yeah. Okay. So he's president of that UW chapter, and he texts me, and he's like, so this guy's going on for a really long time. How can I politely tell him that his time is up? And he's kind of like one of these dudes who just sort of, he's very, very sensitive to other people's feelings. So, of course, he wants my opinion, I guess. Um, Because you're so sensitive. Exactly. Honestly, I think he asked me because he wants to ask somebody with the balls to say something. There you go. So, I text him back like, you should just tell him that I just want to let you know that we have about 15 minutes left. Uh, sensible reasonable yeah yeah and so we're talking about the pe test and he's talking about the hour break between the morning and afternoon sessions Mm -hmm. it's an all-day test yeah 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 and so he's about to click to the next slide and david his name is david sorry david (laughs) he like sort of motions and he says i just want to let you know that i told everybody that this would be about an hour session so if some people are getting antsy i just want to explain why and he answers the question he thinks that's a question and he answers it by saying oh yeah the break is still about an hour long but you have to be back in your seat thinking that david's comment was a question about the hour break in the test and he just keeps going and it is so awkward (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know if that story Ouch. had a good enough payoff, but there you have it. <laughs> that was that was a little more like small talk than a story. <laughs> ah, well, that's what just happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you about the past ten minutes. I drove home. There were a couple stoplights. <laughs> I stopped at them. And then when they turned green, I went. Okay, I get the point. I had a shitty story. <laughs> so, that was the Doom to Fail podcast, and we hope you had a good time. Uh, we hope you are doing well, and that your life is going just how you hoped it would today and tomorrow. After that, you're on your own. We do hope you will join us next week for a special break from the regular routine. Normally scheduled is uh, the cities coming back around, but this time we're going to mix it up on you. Throw the change up. Bring you a nice slow ball coming in. Get you caught looking. What? You didn't see that coming. Baseball season's coming back, Catherine. Damn it. I'm excited. <laughs> I hate baseball. We'll discuss that some other time. Anyway, we're going to bring you a grab bag just full of some fun chats. If that does not sound appealing to you, then tune in in two weeks when we talk about <laughs> the city of Seattle. All right. This has been the Doom to Fail podcast, and that is Catherine Cogart over there. And Tim Dobbs over here. Bye. 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 This episode of the Doom to Fail podcast featured music by Sabate and Lee Rosevere, whose song Spewing Rubik's Cubes just seemed right. Our theme song is How Do You Know by Blamos. You can visit their site at www.blamos.com. For more information about the Doom to Fail podcast, please visit doomtofailpodcast.blogspot.com. You can also subscribe to our feed there, which would be great. Check us out on iTunes, Twitter, Google+, feed, face, food, all the networking things you people do. Tune in next week. Thanks a lot. We'll see you soon.